Hey, everybody. You're listening to the Legacy Church Podcast. Legacy Church is a multi-generational church that exists to worship God, become like Jesus, and bring hope to our community. Today, we're sharing a message from our current series. We believe that the Word of God is powerful and has real-life application to our lives today. We hope that this message encourages you. Get connected and learn more about us by visiting our website at lgcy.church. We're in a trust fund, and um, this is week three. My message today is called This is the Way. I don't know if there's any Mandalorian fans. I was like a Mandalorian fan season one, and this latest season I'm like trying so hard to get into it. But today I'm talking about this is the way. And if you haven't noticed, the underlying question in this whole series, while it's focused on finances and generosity and kingdom money, is there's an underlying question under all of it, and that is, do you actually trust God? Money is a really great indicator on the level that we trust God. Jesus himself said, wherever your treasure is, and he meant your possessions, your material treasure, there your heart is also. Jesus told us that, that money would be an indicator of the level that we trust God. Whether it's in your relationships, your future, your job, with your children. If we can't get to the root, of whether we trust God or not, we're not going to experience the fullness of a transformed life. We're always going to hit that same wall every time. And I want to say something to you today, and I feel like I say this every time I preach. If you claim to be a Christian, it's our responsibility, not optional, It's our duty, it's our responsibility to know what God's word says about things and to obey it. Now for today, I'll go easy on you and say it's your responsibility to strongly consider everything that I'm about to share today, okay? Strongly consider it, okay? As a Christian, we do have a responsibility and a duty to, but God's merciful and he's patient and he's kind. So today I'll say strongly consider it, okay? I want you to think about your bank account. And I know you guys are going to be tempted to turn off at multiple points in this message. I'm pre-warning you. But I promise you that if you hang on there, you're going to see this in a completely different way. Okay? I promise you. Check your bank account. What do you spend your money on? Your kids, your home, your vehicles. Maybe you have a hobby. Um, fun, entertainment, maybe, you know, missions is really important to you and you send a lot of money overseas, whatever it is, what you spend money on is what you value, okay? Many people would say, I love God, I love Jesus, he's the Lord and Savior of my life, but if you looked in their bank account, you wouldn't know. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart is. Now, many of us desire to be blessed. I don't normally do this, but let's do a show of hands. Who honestly can say, I would love to be blessed? 
I would love to live a blessed life. I don't think anybody's raising their hand going, I just want to be cursed. <laughs> I want everything to go wrong, right? We want our circumstances to change. We want blessing and increase. But if we want God's provision, we have to do it God's way. This is the way I'm about to share with you today. Okay? God's way. Remember that trust fund I talked to you about a couple weeks ago in heaven? It's got your name on it. You can access as a child of God whatever your Father in heaven has for you. Amen? By faith. But how many of us parents know, and if you're not a parent, put yourself in that situation for a second. How many of us parents know that we would love, we love blessing our kids, okay? Christmas is Matt and my favorite time of year. We just love seeing their faces when they open their gifts. Something that I love doing is, you know, taking my kids. We live near a Dairy Queen, and so we go to Dairy Queen, and they pick whatever they want, or we go to Indigo, and they sit and read books, and they can pick a book. And it's like I love to treat them and reward them as best as I can. But if I asked my kids to please pick up all their stuff, the shrapnel that lays at the front door, amen, shrapnel, every day, just pick up your stuff, bring your lunchbox to the kitchen, uh, empty it out, basic things, tidy up your room. And if they refused, there's not a chance I'm bringing them anywhere for a treat, right? Like, if I'm like, okay, if you will go tidy up your room, I will bring you to Dairy Queen for a treat. No. Okay, great. Well, we're not going to Dairy Queen. You and I love to be rewarded, even when we say no to God over and over and over again. You know what that does? That creates little brats that know that they can do whatever they want, and they're still going to get the treat anyways. So what's the point in listening? God's children aren't brats. He doesn't raise brats in the kingdom of God. There are certain things that he expects us to be obedient about. And as a result of that obedience, he rewards us. Okay? Now, now, we're not drill sergeants as parents. I'm, I'm very kind. If they say no, I'm like, okay, are you sure? Because I told you that if you would just do these three things, they're going to take you like two minutes. Just do them. And I'm begging them to do it because I want to reward them because I know that they're just going to love going and doing it. And the temporary pain that they feel of putting their shoes away, they will quickly forget once they eat the Dairy Queen. And I know that as a parent. So I will be long suffering with them. And I will be like, guys, come on. That's how God is with us. So if you think that if you refuse him once, he's just like, fine, I'm done with you. That's not how he works. He's long suffering. He's patient. He's kind. He will be like, how about today? How about this Sunday? How about how about next time? He's very, very long-suffering and patient with us. There does reach a point where I'm done at that point, And I'm like, okay, you're not going to do this. And I just have to move on from that. But God's a better parent than I am. Thank God. 
until the moment we breathe our last breath and maybe even then we still have an opportunity to say yes to him. There's a scripture in James 2, 14 through 17. Now, in case you were wondering, I'm about to read to you the most scripture I've maybe ever put in a message. Because what I'm talking about, you need to understand, a man didn't make it up. Some pastor didn't get this wise idea. If I could just get everyone to give 10% of their income, I would be set. Nobody masterminded that whole thing. That was God. And I'm reading to you from scripture today so that you can see that every time you say no, you're saying no to him, not to me. Matt and I don't regularly check on who's giving here. We don't, we have access to it, but we made a decision as leaders that for the most part, we don't want to know. I don't want to know. I don't want to be personally, I don't want that in my life. This is between you and your heavenly father, okay? So James 2, verses 14 through 17 says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself if it does not have works, is dead. I want you to apply this to generosity because that's what James is applying this to. I don't know if you heard this, but he said, what good is it if there's a brother or sister among you that doesn't have what they need and you're just well-wishing your way through life and you never actually step in to meet the need? He's basically saying your faith is not legit. Faith has to be backed up by obedience or else it's not really faith. This is a biblical principle. Now, I love this next section of scripture because Pastor Paul is taking an offering, okay? You're gonna get an insight into the early church if you were sitting in a room and Pastor the Apostle Paul was there and he was scheduled on offering and announcements, okay? This is legitimately what's happening in this moment we're about to read. He's speaking to the church about the church. And he says this, 2 Corinthians 9, 8. He says, I am sending these brothers to be sure you really are ready, as I have been telling them, and that your money is all collected. Paul was on a deadline. Okay, he had a legacy offering coming up on May 28th. Okay, there was an actual deadline for this offering. This is a real life situation. He goes, I don't want to be wrong in my boasting about you. We would be embarrassed, not to mention your own embarrassment, if some Macedonian believers came with me and found out that you weren't ready after all I had told them. So I thought, I should send these brothers ahead of me to make sure the gift that you promised is ready. Let's stop. Paul is like, I'm actually sending people to make sure that you're doing what you said you were going to do. They're trying to take an offering for a church. But then he says this, but I want it to be a willing gift, not one given grudgingly. Remember this, 
A farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must, you must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. Let me tell you something. Sharing with you about the, what the word of God says about money is not pressure. It feels like pressure to you because the word of God is a sword that cuts through the heart and convicts. Sharing with you what the word of God says about money is not putting pressure on you. Okay? Putting pressure on you is giving you ultimatums. If you don't do this, we're going to do this. That's not what's happening here. Like I said, we don't know. We don't even know. However, he says, for God loves a person, in verse 7 we're picking up, who gives cheerfully. And God will generously provide all you need then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. Paul's reiterating what Jesus has already said. You put my kingdom first, God's going to provide everything that you need. And then he goes on to say, and quote the Old Testament, as the scriptures say, they share freely, they give generously to the poor, their good deeds will be remembered forever. This is legacy now. When you give and you're generous, it leaves a legacy that will be remembered forever. Okay, this is scripture. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer. Everything you get, God has provided. Even if you worked for it, he gave you the ability to work. Okay, this is kingdom principle. And then bread to eat. And in the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. I'm still reading the scripture. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, tune in here, they will thank God. So two things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jer Jerusalem will be met, which is who they were taking the offering for. And they will joyfully express their thanks to God. And this is where I want to land, verse 13. As a result of your ministry, they will give glory to God. For your generosity to them and to all believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ. The word of the Lord. There's three things that generosity in his church, this was not an offering for the poor and the marginalized outside the walls. This was an offering for a church. Your generosity, as Paul says, number one, glorifies God. That's why we give. Because when we give, it gives glory to God. Because when he provides for someone's need through your hands, people give him the glory. Number two, so clear, your generosity towards believers proves that you are obedient to the good news of Jesus Christ. Did you know that? The proof of your obedience to the gospel that you say you are giving your life to follow is in your generosity. 
I didn't say it. He said it. That's why money's really important to God. Because what you do with it proves whether you're obedient or not. I don't care if you never swear and never drink a drink of alcohol and never do anything wrong and you're the best ever. If you're not generous, if you don't give in God's house, scripture says that you're not proven to be obedient. I didn't say it. God said it. Now, I want to remind you that he's merciful and he's kind and he understands, but he also expects obedience. He is a good father. A good father, a good mother expects obedience. Okay? This is, this is life. And some of you might say, well, Paul didn't mention the word tithe. Oh, yeah, you're right. Christians in the New Testament didn't need to be taught about the tithe because the tithe was viewed as like, oh, that's like minimum. That's like what the Jews did. We're one-upping the Jews and we're giving everything. That's why Paul didn't teach them about the tithe. We're back in humanity where we're trying to get us all to just be in the position of faith and obedience to give the tithe. So if we were like the New Testament church, which is goals, hashtag goals, we're not there yet, okay? If we were in a place as, a, as the body of Christ on earth where we didn't need to hear messages about tithing, we wouldn't be hearing them. So what I want to do is I want to spend the next few moments and I am going to give you scripture. And if you uh, want, you can chat with me after and I can send you all these references so you can read them for yourself because I'm going to go through pretty quickly. But I want you to see that this is the way that God has created for us as believers to glorify him, to prove that we're obedient, okay? And to assure that he's going to provide all that we need. God is not a lottery. He is not just a spoiled father where he's like, whatever, whatever you feel like doing, even on your days that are disobedient. No, there's promises. There's agreements. There's you do this and I will do this. And this is what's exemplified for us in scripture. So we're in Exodus 23, 19. As you harvest your crops, bring the very best of the first harvest to the house of the Lord your God. The tenth, the tithe, belongs in the house of the Lord. Not in missions. Not in, oh, I give to this charity. No, the tenth, the tithe, belongs to the house of the Lord. Offerings can go wherever your heart and God leads you. You want to support this and support that. But the tithe belongs in the house of the Lord. Leviticus 27.30 says, One-tenth of the produce of the land, whether grain from the fields or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord and must be set apart to him as holy. Did you know that tithe is holy? It's holy. Proverbs 3, 9 through 10. 
honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce. Then, everyone say then, then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. Second Chronicles 31.5 says, when the people of Israel heard these requirements, they responded generously by bringing the first share of their grain, new wine, olive oil, honey, and all the produce of their fields. They brought a large quantity, a tithe of all they produced. Deuteronomy 12, 5 through 6 says, Do not worship the Lord your God in the way these pagan people worship their gods. Rather, you must seek the Lord your God at the place of worship. He himself will choose the place where his name will be honored. And there you will bring your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, your sacred offerings, your offering to fulfill a vow, your voluntary offerings, your offering of the firstborn of animals of the herds and the flocks. The Jewish people not only brought their tithe, they had to do so many special. Can you imagine in one year you have to do like 17 special offerings? That's what God required of them. Malachi 3, 8 through 12. Should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? You have cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. You are under a curse. For your whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. And if you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, if you do, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. And Mark 12, 41 to 44. We think Jesus didn't really teach about tithing, but he has this powerful moment here where it says, Jesus sat down near the collection box in the temple. Can you imagine if Jesus was sitting at the giving station back there? <laughs> right where Makira is. Jesus is just sitting there like looking at your envelope, <laughs> leaning over your shoulder at the square machine. <laughs> oh, really? This is Jesus. He's creeping. He's creeping by the collection box. <laughs> and he watched as the crowds dropped in their money. Many rich people put in large amounts. And I want you to hear me today. Many rich people put in large amounts. Then a poor widow came and she dropped in two small coins. Jesus called his disciples and he said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has given more than all the others who are making contributions. He says, for they gave a tiny part of their surplus, a tiny part. But she, poor as she is, has given everything she has to live on. You want to know Jesus' doctrine on giving? There it is. Rich people throwing a hundred bucks at God, throwing this. And this widow comes in and she gives everything she has and it's like two pennies. Don't you see? It's obedience that matters to him. 
It's your heart that matters to him. Listen, if all you've got is five bucks in the bank account and Jesus says tithe and that tithe is 50 cents, you are operating in blessing and obedience, my friend. Let me tell you that again. If your tithe is 50 cents, you are operating in blessing and obedience. But if you are holding back the tithe, you're disobeying God. And I read a ton of scripture earlier. I think we're very clear of what the tithe is and that it's biblical and it's in the Bible. We're not some like weird church that asks you to tithe. Like go to most churches on planet earth, okay? Because it's biblical, But I want to explain to you something. I want to explain to you the tithe and where it came from. And I want to also explain to you that all throughout the Old Testament, there's story after story after story after story of wicked priests, of disobedient priests, of people who were supposed to be shepherding and taking care of God's temple, and they weren't. And I want to tell you a fun fact. At not one point in any of those situations did God say, you may now withhold the tithe. Not once. Not one time. Because when you withhold the tithe, let me just tell you something. The tithe only affects you. God, this is God's house and he takes care of it, whether everyone tithes or not. Okay. So whether you tithe or not really only affects you. Because if a bunch of people don't tithe, he's just going to bring somebody in that's tithe makes up for all the people that don't tithe. We've seen it time and time and time and time again. This church has had everything that it has needed because the tithe is about you and God. And at no point did he ever say when Eli was in power, withhold all your first fruits. So if you're thinking in your head, well, I'll tithe when I trust the person taking care of the money. Your tithing is not even biblical and you should keep it. Now, let me tell you something. This church has gone above and beyond to make sure that the finances in this house are stewarded in a godly way. There's a team of godly men who oversee it. There's self audits that are being done. There is multiple people that have to sign off on any sort of purchases. This church has gone above and beyond, okay? But the tithe has nothing to do with that. It's about him. It's about him. 
and I knew that I was going to get so many amens today. I knew. I was like, I'm coming. I had to stir myself up in the spirit. I'm like, I am just, but I have to be faithful to what God's word says, whether any of us like it or not. So I want to round us down in this next section here because I want you to understand the tithe. We're going to go to Genesis 14, 18 through 20. If you think the tithe was a part of the law of Moses, this is for Christians. Some of you are like, I could care less about this right now, but that's okay. You're going to know why, where the tithe came from. If you're a Christian and you think the tithe was a part of the Old Testament law, you are wrong. The tithe originated hundreds of years before God gave Israel the law. Okay? It originated here in Genesis 14, verses 18 through 20. It says, And Melchizedek, the king of Salem and a priest of God Most High, brought Abram some bread and wine. Melchizedek blessed Abram with this blessing. Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has defeated your enemies for you. Then Abram gave Melchizedek a tenth, of all the goods he had recovered. So Abraham wins this battle. He gets all the spoils. He has this encounter with Melchizedek. And his response is that he gives Melchizedek a tenth of all of the goods he had recovered. Okay? This is in Genesis at the very beginning. Now, if you know anything in the New Testament, Abraham, who becomes Abraham, is identified as the father of faith for all believers in Christ. So I don't think I need to explain to you that there's no actual argument that tithing and giving generously is an Old Testament thing, okay? Because if you take that position, then you'd have to admit that under the New Testament, the requirements are profoundly greater than that of the Old Testament. So you probably don't want to argue about that, okay? But I want to show you here. In Hebrews 7.1, it recounts this story of Abram. And it says, This Melchizedek was king of Salem, priest of God Most High. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed him. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First, the name Melchizedek means king of righteousness. Then also king of Salem means king of peace. Without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, resembling the son of God, Melchizedek remains a priest forever. Almost all every all biblical scholars agree and believe that Melchizedek was a pre-incarnate Christ. Okay? This is not something I deducted. All the forefathers of Christianity and all biblical scholars, most all, I'm talking like 99%, agree that Melchizedek, king of righteousness, king of peace, without a beginning and an end, was Jesus Christ himself. 
Now you can debate me and all the early church fathers and all the biblical scholars. I'm not that smart, so I'm not going to do that. Could it be that the tithe was birthed in a supernatural encounter between Abraham and Jesus Christ in Genesis? The tithe originated in Genesis with our Lord and Savior. And it's forever. It's forever. It never becomes irrelevant. After a visitation from God, Jacob in Genesis 28, he names the place where he is Bethel, which means house of God, and this memorial pillar I have set up will become a place for worshiping God. And I will present to God a tenth of everything he gives me. Jacob establishes Bethel, the house of the Lord. Guys, there was no temple then. There was no tabernacle. This is hundreds of years before. And Jacob establishes that the house of the Lord will be a place for worshiping God and presenting the tithe. Thank God that the church is a whole lot more than that. But let me tell you something. These two things are foundational in the function of the house of the Lord. The tithe is timeless. Its application changes. We're not the nation of Israel anymore, but we are called the new Israel, the new Jerusalem, the body of Christ, the church of Jesus Christ. And the truth is, is that if we present our tithe to Christ, the high priest, he responds with a blessing every single time. Every single scripture I wrote, when you give, he responds with a blessing. I've heard people say, we don't give to be blessed. Okay, but you do because it's a promise in the word of God. You give because you know if you give, God's going to take care of you. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's a reason we're doing this series. Because many of us are disconnected from the blessing of God. Because we're not obedient. Like I said, I don't really know who ties, who doesn't. I, I couldn't tell you. But God knows and in this next season, in this next era, in the legacy that we're leaving behind for the next generation, are we leaving them a generous church? Or are we leaving them everybody just hanging on for themselves? Because the church won't be here in a hundred years if we do that. To access God's provision and his promises, we got to do it his way. And I'm asking you today to strongly consider his way. Not my way, not my opinion. Like I said, my world does not really change when you make these types of decisions. Okay? 
but to remind you generosity in God's house glorifies him. It proves that we're obedient and it assures us that God will supply all of our needs. And the tithe is just how we start. It's so simple. It's so practical. And I want to remind you today that God is a loving father. He's okay if he has to come behind you and be like, pick up that shoe. Okay, pick up the next shoe and walk you through every single thing he's asked you to do because you're hesitant and you're reluctant and you don't really trust him. I read this quote and it's, I mean, it's backed up by scripture. You hang on to the hundred and it's a curse. You give him the 10% and keep the 90 and it's a blessing. The tithe is how we unlock provision and blessing in our lives. And out of that, once you start that, then you become comfortable trusting God. You know he's taking care of you. And then there's special offerings. And this is where I will say that what you do affects the church. When you're generous, we can be generous to others. Someone just two weeks ago gave an offering, a large amount, and said, I want this to go towards anyone in our church family that's struggling right now. And we've been able to distribute that money to multiple families in this church to help them through a tough time. That person proved that they cared about you. The reason why our generosity proves that we're obedient because it proves that we care. Do we care about one another? There's something really special that God wants to do. Really special in this city, in this church, in Kitchener. We're seeing every week, every week, new people coming in, plugging in. God wants to do something special. But he looks out, scripture says, and he says, is there anyone with faith? Scripture says he looks around. He doesn't say, is there anyone with love? Is there anyone with hope? He says, is there anyone with faith? Is there anyone who's willing to trust me to do it my way? I could go on and on and tell you that faith can unlock healing, it can unlock blessing, it can unlock so many things. But I want to bring us back to the fact that what we do with our money 
is a very reliable indicator of how much we trust him. And I want to pray for us today because I know I'm a human too. I know sometimes it's taken everything within me to send that e-transfer to just go oh but if I had this money I know we would be okay to the end of the month and to just override that and go nope it belongs to him it ain't mine it's not mine and to see him come through again and again and again and again I want you to live that blessed life. I don't want you suffering. I don't want you wondering how you're going to get groceries. I don't want you thinking that you can do this without him. Because that's just as bad. Because you're going to miss out on the special things that he wants to do the people he wants to bless and reach through your life. So let's just pray today. Father, we just acknowledge as a church that we want to be generous. I know in our hearts we want to be generous. God, you know our hearts. I don't know that there's anyone in here that would say, I don't want to be generous. But God, your word says that your spirit helps give us the ability to obey. And I pray that in this next season, as we're diving into this deeper and God, you're clearly trying to do something in our hearts that you would give us the strength to obey, to take one more step whether it's 2%, 5%, 8%, one more step of faith in obedience to what you have for us. God, we don't want to live in curse. We don't want to live in strife and struggle. We want to know, we want to be sure that you're going to supply everything that we need. So God, Holy Spirit, would you direct us? Would you speak to us? about the areas that we need to trust you more. And would you help us do that? Would you help us leave a legacy of generosity? Would you help us make your house into a storehouse that can be a lighthouse and a source of hope? God, we just welcome you into this area of our hearts, of our lives, and our minds. Help get to those places deep within us where maybe we've stopped trusting you because of something someone did. Get to the triggers, get to the moments where we feel like we were taken advantage of, where we feel like we didn't know any better. God, get in those places. Help us to see, God, how we can be faithful to you, to what you've asked us to do, God. 
I just pray a blessing over every single person in this church that even this week, that there would be an ease and a lightness that comes over the households and families, that there would just be this trust that transcends what the bank says, that transcends what the news says, that transcends the noise. Help us to rise to a new level this week in trust trusting you, our Heavenly Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. To hear more, subscribe to this podcast and connect with us on our website at lgcy.church.